Our reading comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. It's in the first chapter, and it begins at the ninth verse. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I have to admit that like most pastors I know, I have certain books of the Bible that are my favorites and others that I find more difficult to find inspiration in as I stand in a place like this. But among my favorites, and certainly my favorite gospel, is the one written by the man named Mark. I think that's because... That gospel writer had the good sense to take on the same name my mother gave me. It's a wonderful name, but that's not the reason I truly like it. It is because Mark is sort of, he writes in a way that I understand. He writes in a way that my mind happens to work. He writes in a way that is simple, straightforward, short-spoken, and to the point. If you listen carefully to his words, there's actually a word that starts like every second or third sentence. It's the Greek word chi, 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 chi. And it it links things together. It's loosely translated in English. It means and then, and then, and so, and then. It's almost like a military heel beat of a march as Jesus goes through his life straight to the cross. And those are the reasons I love Mark's gospel. But Mark's gospel is different than the others. And I I have to admit that sometimes reading the gospel of Mark is like reading just the headlines in the newspaper and reading nothing else. You you get the main idea of the story from this particular evangelist, but you don't necessarily get all the details that you've come to expect. You you might get the big news, but after that, when you read Mark's work, you, you really have to think about what you just read or, or you just heard. And you have to dwell with it for a while and to figure out what it means in its deepest sense. We can read together Mark's version of, about Jesus in the wilderness in less than a minute. And, and I just did that for you. And in that way, it's like, well, I call it the Cliff Notes version of the message that we receive on the first Sunday of Lent most years. You know, you remember what Cliff Notes were? Nobody wants to raise their hands because there's a little shame in having used them, right? You didn't do all the work the professor or the instructor assigned, so you went and got those cliff notes to help you get in a hurry through what you had to do to get a passing grade at least. Maybe not an A, but a passing grade. But it would be a mistake to take on Mark's gospel words and hurry through them like a college kid who's desperate to avoid that failing grade. Those very few words in today's gospel lesson are an invitation for, for us to come and, and sit with what Mark says and stew on it for a while. 
And then let the Spirit work in our brains, in our imagination, to help us understand what Mark is describing for us. This gospel writer tells us the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and he does so in just one sentence. He says, Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him, period. That's the story. There just aren't any details here. It's like headlines. If you were to write like Mark, put yourself in a situation like this and, and see if this makes sense to you. Let's say you, you're going to take a, a, an exciting vacation. You remember how we used to do that before a year ago? Go to a wonderful place where you haven't been before and just enjoy the culture difference from you know, where that place is compared to where you are now. So imagine you're going to take a, a big winter time, see the snow and, and take in the Broadway show sort of trip to New York City. So you go there and you look around and, and you want to send your, your friend a, a postcard to tell that friend what it's all about. Maybe not a postcard. People don't know what postcards are anymore, so I'll change that. You're going to send a text message, okay? So now you're sending a text message and you, you're going to describe your fantastic trip to New York and you use these words. Arrived in city, saw many tall buildings. Period. That's it. That's the whole message. What you've said is certainly true and it's certainly accurate, but you're going to leave your reader just begging for what else? What of it? What are the details of your trip? What did you see? What did you hear? What did you do? Who did you meet? How did you feel as you experienced those things? We hear the story of Jesus going out into the wilderness most years on this first Sunday of Lent. And when we think about how Matthew and Luke tell the story and compare it to the way Mark tells it, this postcard or, or text message or headline version that Mark gives us is, is that much more striking. Mark's version seems to have a lot of things that are missing. The, Mark tells the story uh, where there is no conversation between Jesus and the devil. None. We don't get to hear what Jesus and Satan said to one another and how that played. There's no description about Jesus bravely facing the temptations put before him. There is no talk about turning stones into bread. There's no invitation by, by the devil for Jesus to go on the highest pinnacle of the grandest building in Jerusalem, the, the capital of the nation, and to throw himself off and, and trust the angels to catch him. None of that. Since Mark is like a headline writer, we just get the very essence of the story and no more. He says it in just a few words. He lays out for us like Jack Webb on Dragnet, just the facts, just the facts. In Mark's version, it's as though we don't need to know all the details. We don't need to know what went on over those long 40 days that Jesus suffered in the wilderness. What is important for this teller of the story is that we know that during those 40 days in the wilderness, the devil was there. And when that happens, we're not ever going to receive good news. And we shouldn't be surprised by what we imagine Satan is doing there. Satan is doing what Satan always does. He's bringing forth temptation. 
Again, we don't get to hear the conversation between Jesus and and Satan. We don't get the details about what the, the temptations were or how they played out. But maybe that's because, in Mark's opinion, Satan isn't all that creative. He... He's very predictable. Temptation always is. The temptation that Jesus was faced with, the temptation that we are faced with, is one of, do we doubt God? Do we wonder if God is there or here? And if God is here, is he strong enough, is he willing, is he inclined to provide the help that we truly need? Think about the temptations that you have endured in your life. What is it that could tempt you not to believe what God has promised? What is it? What could sow the seed of such doubts in your mind? What could make you wonder if God really is good and loving and faithful, as good, loving, and faithful as you have heard in the scriptures and preached from this place? Mark provides us with just enough information to imagine Jesus' experience in the desert. And then we are told in these words that immediately, with Mark there's no time for sitting around, immediately after his baptism, the Spirit drove Jesus, drove him out into the wilderness. Think about it for a second. More too. I mean... That's a shocking sentence if you take a moment just to digest it. The Spirit drove Jesus, the Christ, out there? Really? Wasn't this the very same Spirit that had just appeared as a gentle dove hovering over the River Jordan as Jesus was baptized by his cousin John? Wasn't this the very Spirit who had delivered God's words of everlasting love? Wasn't this the spirit who had just named and claimed Jesus as God's beloved in those words from above? And now, this spirit is driving Jesus out into the wilderness? This spirit that drives Jesus is almost unrecognizable to us. This is not the friendly, loving, gently whispering spirit that we think of when we consider baptism as we did last week when Pastor Bruce spoke so eloquently of it at this place. This is another side of the Spirit, a multifaceted and and complex Spirit. The side of the Spirit that drives us, that is insistent upon our action and will not take no for an answer. This Spirit is taking Jesus where no one would go, certainly none of us would go, out into the wilderness. The wilderness, the deserted place, is a dangerous place for humans to be. It is dry. It is harsh. It's a place where people were left to their own devices to try to survive. Will not. They will die. And before they die, it's a place where people will suffer. The desert place, the wilderness, is hot in the day and cold in the night. There's little to sustain us there. And nothing grows or lives easily in the wilderness. What a contrast. What a contrast to go from baptism to wilderness. Have you ever experienced a contrast like that in your life? Have you? 
Have you ever known a time in your life when everything was going really well and then suddenly the rug was pulled out from under you? Like maybe roughly a year ago? If not dozens of other times in the course of our lives. Have you ever plummeted from extreme happiness to utter sadness? Our lives can be like that. We can receive one phone call or suffer one accident or receive one diagnosis or we can be betrayed by one friend. These things happen in our lives. And then, just like Jesus experiences, immediately we are plunged into the wilderness of our own lives. And when we're in that wilderness... That is where Satan is waiting with words of temptation for us. Temptation makes us doubt whether God is there. Temptation makes us wonder if God still cares about us. Temptation makes us worry that God may have forgotten us or isn't listening or is somehow powerless to help us. This evangelist named Mark has given us all the detail that we need in his brief story. Jesus has just experienced the joy and wonder of his baptism and now suddenly he is in the wilderness and Satan is there. And Satan does what Satan does. He tempts Jesus. We all know about temptation. Temptation is that voice, sometimes internal and sometimes coming from someplace external, that wants to lead us away from God. Jesus was in that wilderness a long, long time. That's what 40 days really means. It means a long time. He was in a place for 40 days where one hour can feel like forever. A place where loneliness and discomfort are the norm. He was in a place where days can seem endless and nights can seem to be haunted. A place where any person would be unhappy or afraid. And then to add to Jesus' misery, Mark tells us that there were wild beasts in the wilderness as well. Mark doesn't tell us what these wild beasts are doing or what their names are or what their descriptions are, but if if I had to describe for you a place that feels safe and comfortable and relaxing, the presence of wild beasts would not be included. There are none next to my Barca lounger in my family room. But with just a few words, Mark lets us know that the wilderness is a very dangerous place. But he doesn't end the story there. Not even there in that frightening place, or excuse me, even in that frightening place, there were angels. Those angels waited on Jesus. They tended to him They ministered to him. They cared for him. Angels are what their name in Greek means. They are messengers from God. And into Jesus' ear, they told him exactly the opposite of what Satan had said to him. The angels tell Jesus the truth. They remind him that he has not been forgotten or forsaken or abandoned. Once again, they bring to him the message of who he really is the Son of God. That terrible time in the wilderness cannot change what is eternally true about Christ and about us. God has named us all 
Beloved, Jesus and his brothers and sisters, all of us, are loved by God. And life circumstances, good nor bad, can ever change that. Sisters and brothers, when you are in the wilderness times of your life, or when you feel you are surrounded by proverbial wild beasts, I ask you, in those times, can you hear the voices of angels? Can you speak the ones, can you hear the ones who speak the message of the angels in your life? Can you hear the ones who bring you messages of love and reassurance? Can you hear the ones who tell you that you have not been forgotten? For that matter, when your neighbor is in the wilderness of their life, are you one of God's messengers who brings his soothing words to their ear? After enduring those 40 long days of suffering and then healing, Jesus is now ready to begin his public ministry. He emerges from that forbidding wilderness and hears the devastating news that his dear John, cousin and the man who baptized him, has been arrested. Jesus' beloved cousin, the one who baptized him, is gone. We know that John will never be seen alive again, and his arrest by Herod is a death sentence. But even that doesn't stop Jesus. He has a message to deliver, and nothing, not Satan, not temptation, not John's arrest and death, nothing is going to stop Jesus. Mark tells us that Jesus then proclaims the good news of God. And in that, we have yet another headline. It's a phrase that is a broad description that offers no real detail. He proclaims the good news of God. If some uppity pastor were to say to you from a place like this, right about now, I want you to get up out of your chair, and I want you to go out there on the sidewalk, and I want you to proclaim the good news of God, what would you say? Well, first, what would you do? Would you actually get up and do that? But if you did, what would you say when you got there? If you had to tell someone else the most important thing about God and and do it in just a few words, how would you do that? Would you talk about God's love? Would you talk about his unlimited forgiveness? Would you talk about being named and known by God A God who never loses track of you, even when you are in the wilderness of your life? How would you do that? In proclaiming the good news, Mark relates one sentence, as is typical of his writing, one sentence from Jesus. It's simple and to the point. Jesus tells us, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And that one sentence gives us plenty to think about as we make our journey through Lent. First, Jesus tells us the time is fulfilled, and by that he means now. Now is the time. When a crisis or a need arises, whether it's yours or someone else, we may be tempted to wait until we feel better prepared to deal with it or 
or wait until we know more or until we are less tired or less stressed or less busy. But Jesus doesn't give us that luxury. He says now is the time. The world and all of God's people need his good news, need the gospel right now. God can and will use us as his messengers if we will just have the heart and the will to say yes to his call. Jesus tells us in the next phrase, the kingdom of God has come near. And for us, it's easy to listen only to bad news and then wonder if God has forgotten us. If you watch the television news a lot or the internet news or the newspaper, whatever your source is, this last year has put us in exactly that position. We sit alone in our homes and lack the the touch of community. And we wonder where God is in this chaos of a pandemic. But I remind you, if Jesus can see the kingdom of God right after his cousin has been unjustly arrested and, and then killed without a trial, and this done in a country that was under enemy occupation, and all of that happening right after living in the wilderness for 40 days with all the hardship he had to endure there, if Jesus can do that, then we should be looking for God in this place. And we should be looking for God right here and right now. The kingdom of God has come near because God can always be found where God is needed most. And in this place, in this time, God is needed sorely. And then in the most succinct way possible, Jesus tells us, repent. Which, as you hear every Lent, means to turn around or set a new direction. What do we need to turn ourselves away from? And and what do we need to turn toward? Jesus today, sisters and brothers, is calling you to change. And in that change, choose what is good. What is good in the eyes of the Lord. During his time in the wilderness, Jesus had to choose which voice to listen to. He clearly turned away from that voice of temptation and turned to what was good, his father's words whispered by the angels. Shouldn't we be doing the same? And then finally, we hear Jesus command us, and it's not a suggestion, it's not an option, it's a command. Believe, he says, believe in the good news. And that is our invitation through Lent and the rest of the year without ceasing. We are to choose to believe. When Jesus was in the wilderness surrounded by those wild beasts and tormented by Satan, there was, according to Mark, no visible evidence of God. And Matthew and Luke don't give us that visible evidence either. Jesus had to choose to believe that God was with him, and that becomes the work of Lent for us as well, to choose to believe the good news and then to live it, not just for a brief time on a Sunday morning, but to live it every moment of our lives, despite unpleasant circumstances that may and will be all around us, even a pandemic. It turns out that Mark has told us in just a few words all that we need to know because the rest, all those details are filled in by the Spirit in your heart. 
So now as we go forward in this Lent, it is time to choose, brothers and sisters. It's time to choose your direction. Is is it in the way of the Lord? Or is it in the way of the world? We live in the world, but we we are not of it. We are simply in it. We are children of God. And will we, will we believe? Will we believe that the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has forgiven our sins, taken them to the cross, and killed them there so that we might live forever? Will we believe that and live as freed men and women going forth in the world and taking Jesus' word and his hope to all of those out there that haven't heard it or haven't chosen to listen yet so that they too may be saved because that is the Lord's intent. We must do these things. These are the things that Jesus has commanded us to do. And so we must take heart and realize that God is with you right here, right now, and will be out there tomorrow and the day after and every moment of our lives. Thanks be to God that he carries us through all the highs and all the lows. Amen.